I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today's topic is part two of Warnings of a Nephilim Invasion. Frankly, this mini-series has been a departure for me, but we are not living in normal times. These are the very end of days. One of my team said, you could be labeled as some sort of prophet of doom trying to incite fear. So for those who may have thought this, let me respond by saying that I view myself as a watchman, giving warning and instruction when prompted. During the recent episode, Torah 101, The Foundation of Our Faith, I shared that Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy during the last five weeks of his life. He felt the leading of the Lord to prepare his people for what they would face without him. That resonated with me. I'm no spring chicken. I've walked with the Lord over 54 years, and I'm at the age when many my age have passed away already. So I know that every day is a gift and an opportunity to teach and prepare you for what is to come. My vantage point is different from other Christian speakers out there who talk about bits and pieces of this climate change agenda. I have been studying the origins and development of the Nephilim for over 30 years, and their playbook does not change. It has been their Bible, their directive in our generation since the early part of the 20th century. In part one, I told you the difference in terminology between the deep state and the cabal. This definition came from John D'Souza, who retired from the FBI after 25 years of investigating alien activity. He said, quote, The deep state is the American subsidiary of the cabal, which is a global body of the bloodlines. These people have reproduced preternaturally, which means they grew their population by inexplicable or beyond normal means, unquote. This is the biblical definition of the Nephilim. They began invading our country most recently in the 1950s under President Truman and then President Eisenhower, and now 70 years later are completely enmeshed within leadership of our military-industrial complex, our international banking operations, our food supply, every aspect of business, social, religious, and political life. Let me read you a few paragraphs from Dr. John Coleman's classic book called The Committee of 300. This is one of the names the cabal uses to refer to itself. Quote, There have been serious questions raised as to how the Committee of 300 carries out its operations on such a vast scale. The answer is really quite simple. It uses people, specially trained people, who are willing to betray their country for the sake of a special place in the hierarchy of the One World Government, New World Order." Dr. Coleman lists the people and organizations that are all part of this vast global network. One of the senior spokesmen 
who was responsible for laying out the plans for this one-world government, was H.G. Wells, whose book, The Open Conspiracy, presents the blueprint for a world revolution. This book was published in 1935 as a scheme to establish a human control over the destinies of life. You may recall that H.G. Wells wrote a masterpiece fictional work called War of the Worlds, which was published in 1898. It was broadcast on radio, and listeners in New York and New Jersey were thrown into a panic. They heard this broadcast and believed it was real, that the country was being invaded by a tentacled race of Martians. This level of make-believe deception is one of the pages in the Nephilim playbook that has now resurfaced. The enemy's tactics have never changed. When you know what the Nephilim and their human minions have done in the past, you can more easily recognize the pattern of what's happening right now. That's how I was able to flag the deception surrounding COVID-19 and mandated vaccines as the precursor to the mark of the beast. That insight came from another page in the Nephilim playbook that I learned from studying the archival records of the war between the gods as recounted by the late biblical scholar and author Zechariah Sitchin, who is one of few who was able to translate the ancient clay tablets of the Sumerian civilization where these gods, with a little g, originated. Infecting human bloodlines with genetic alien material goes back thousands and thousands of years before our biblical record began. And this plot resurfaced according to the Torah in Genesis 6 during the days of Noah, a sin that was so grievous it led to the flood. And that's where we are headed again, as it was in the days of Noah worldwide judgment from God, only this time not with water, but with fire. The good news for believers is that those of us who have embraced Jesus as our Messiah and are waiting for his return to the clouds, we will be gone before the worst part comes. Glory to God. I believe that time frame to be about five years away. But until then, we will have to experience some difficult times, like now. During the last week of Jesus' earthly life, he did three very significant things which have shown me a meaningful picture of how to conduct my final time on earth, however long it is. I pass these three things on to you for consideration yourself. After coming into Jerusalem triumphantly, here are the three things Jesus did before he left this earth. He concentrated on one of them each day. Number one, on Monday, after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on what most people call Palm Sunday, he confronted the evils and hypocrisies of the culture. He called them out. He ruffled a lot of feathers. He threatened the false religious foundation the people were being deceived by. He said, basically, what you are doing does not come from my father. It comes from your father, the devil. 
In like manner, many of my episodes are aimed at restoring believers to our Jewish roots, the true spiritual foundation of our forefathers, not the traditions of man that many believers today have substituted for the real thing. Number two, on Tuesday, Jesus spent the entire day teaching about the kingdom. He was getting ready to go back to the kingdom and wanted his followers to know how wonderful it is so they would shift their focus from finding joy and pleasure in this world to realizing their hope was ultimately in the world to come. As you can see in my body of work, many episodes are written to help you understand what your place will be in the kingdom according to all the gifts that God put inside of you before you were born. I want to help shift your thinking from this world to the kingdom. On Wednesday, the day before he died, he pulled back from the masses and focused all of his energies on those disciples who wanted to learn from him. Now, the way that I have applied this wisdom I still communicate to the masses, so to speak, through these podcasts and radio stations, but I know that I can't continue self-funding this outreach. When God shuts the door to buying more media time, my episodes will be only for people who visit CandiceLong.com slash podcasts. I'll still be writing and recording as long as I have breath, but I will be more closeted. A large portion of my time is now devoted to mentoring and coaching people one-on-one who want to learn from me. Some listeners may say, well, you've given up. You're expecting enemy takeover. Where is your faith? We're supposed to fight this. That's a fair question. I've read the end of the book. I'm seeing the signs. Jeremiah saw the Lord giving Israel over to the Babylonians. He told them the people didn't like what he said and threw him into a pit. As a watchman, I have to warn what I see. I see how horribly we have sinned in our country, how we have opened the door to everything we are experiencing. And I do not see a massive, unified repentance. Yes, there are millions of faithful believers, but we are not united We were scattered during the pandemic, and for the most part, we are not in leadership positions of major corporations and political office to truly effect change. The people in Jesus' day did not expect what happened then either. They expected Messiah to bring an army and do away with the Roman kingdom, but that wasn't on God's timetable. And that's where we need to focus. There was a specific point in time when Jesus, our Messiah, foreordained by the Lord God, would be turned over to the enemy. He knew that time was coming. He told his disciples it was coming. They didn't believe him. But when that horrible time came, he looked Satan straight in the eye to Judas and said, This is your time, the hour of darkness. I believe that's where we are. If not, and we have ten more years left, wonderful. But if not, 
we had better stop and consider what we should be doing to prepare for the worst. Before we close, I want to recommend seven things to consider in the event these frightening things do transpire soon. Number one, this may sound strange, but watch what you ingest. There's an insight from the book, The Committee of 300, written in 2006 by Dr. John Coleman. Quote, the American family farm is all but lost to 300 food controllers like Archer Daniels Midland, Nestle, and the Bunge Corporation. We can now easily be starved into submission should the need arise. The leader in this drive to establish a totalitarian state is emerging as the United States, the role it first assumed when the Committee of 300 appointed Woodrow Wilson to the White House, unquote. That's 110 years ago. And that made me stop and think. I had heard of Nestle, of course, but I was unfamiliar with the other two companies. But listen to this. Archer Daniels Midland, better known as ADM, describes itself as a global nutrition company who unlocks the power of nature to envision, create, and combine ingredients and flavors for food and beverages and supplements. It is at the center of the world's agricultural supply chain for human, animal, and pet nutrition. Nestle is the world's largest food and beverage company based in Switzerland. I was interested to learn that in 1991, the Coca-Cola Company and Nestle created a joint venture. And the Bunge Corporation is described as a global leader in agribusiness, food, and ingredients, and uses its crop infrastructure to help fuel renewable energy. These corporations will continue to gobble up smaller companies who want to be part of this final kingdom. They experiment, create, and produce what we ingest, what we eat and drink, much of it genetically modified with ingredients formulated to keep us compliant and dependent upon global government for our very existence. The wisdom would be to do your best to grow your own food or pay a little more for organic food and stock up on these foods plus vitamin supplements to boost your immune system and have a supply on hand in the event of emergencies. Move to more rural areas where you can help support organic farmers and get set up to be able to barter food for other services if this kingdom shuts you out for noncompliance. This final kingdom has counted on the fact that most Americans are so busy living life and doing what's needed to put food on the table and enjoy a little bit of downtime that we don't even notice all that they are doing behind the scenes, devising and implementing strategies to take us over and control us. They figure that all most Americans want is some meaningful form of work, good food, beer, sports, music, movies, other entertainment, keep us happy and enslaved. That's the plan. Number two, another thing we need to do is to get our affairs in order. Pass on to your family and close friends 
what you want to leave behind as your legacy, your imprint in this earth. Memorialize it in some way, whether in writing or recording or face-to-face with those who matter most to you. Number three, pray Psalm 91 over yourself and your family every day. Put the Lord to the test. He knows how to rescue his own. Number four, develop an escape plan. Talk over with your family what to do in the event of a crisis, where to meet, what to expect, what your individual roles and responsibilities are. Number five, this is not a good time to do something major. Keep your expenses in line. Don't go into further debt and get out of debt as much as possible. This is probably not the best time to start a business or sell your house. Things are too unstable right now. Pay attention to your internal body tells. If someone invites you to go on a weekend trip and you don't feel right inside but there's no explanation for it, pay attention to your gut. That is most likely God warning you to stay put. It's wise to stay close to home. Number six, we are coming up on a three-week period of time that God warns his people to keep our heads down. These 21 days are known as Bain HaMetzarim, the most dangerous time of the year on the Hebrew calendar. I have a whole 30-minute teaching on this, and I'll put a link to it in the notes to this episode. But on our calendar, this vulnerable period is from July 6th through the 27th. Literally, in the Hebrew, Ben HaMetzarim means dire straits. In other words, you're between a rock and a hard place. The stress and oppression grows to such an extent it's almost impossible to keep going. More accidents happen during this time and more conflicts between people. It's a time to be careful and to pay attention. These are called the dangerous days because Jewish doctrine teaches there is a particular demon that God allows to prevail at this time. God gives this demon the upper hand. Ben HaMetzarim begins and ends with a fast. On the 17th of the month of Tammuz, which is July 6th, and at the end of this period, on the 9th of Av, which happens to be July 27, 2023. The Talmud says the reason this period is so dangerous is that five tragedies happened on each of these fast days, culminating with the destruction of both temples 550 years apart. Is that coincidence? No. God built this dangerous time period into the calendar to teach us to mourn for God's kingdom, for his temple to return. So bottom line, especially be cautious during this 21-day period. And number seven, I want to respond to a question sent in recently by a listener. She wrote, quote, A couple of us were reading Romans 13 the other day, and we questioned the part in the first two verses about doing as our government says to do. Most of us find this administration to be evil, 
along with all the departments that keep making up outrageous rules. The verse spoke of obeying the government. Does this apply to today? Unquote. This is an excellent question. By and large, the word teaches us that we should endeavor to do good for the area we live in and pray for those over us. Lawlessness and rebellion are not attributes befitting somebody who walks with the Lord. If we pull away and form our own militias, a January 6th type event will result and the end will not be pretty. The other consideration is that God has given us all individual mandates to exercise dominion over our bodies, our homes, and our families according to conscience. So when any of these freedoms are threatened or taken away, we should lawfully object. If compelled to comply, that's when you think about relocating. If it's an issue of personal conscience, such as taking a vaccine you believe is harmful, you must obey your conscience, even if you are punished for it. The disciples refused to quit preaching Jesus as the authorities had ordered them to do. Yet they went about their business under the radar as much as possible. We are to carry God's light in this hour, not an AK-47 into a town hall meeting. I think of the prophet Daniel. He had a very influential government position in Babylon. His boss, King Nebuchadnezzar, was a wicked heathen who worshipped gods. Yet Daniel was respectful to him and honored his position as king at all times. That's our model. Daniel was protected miraculously throughout his time in Babylon because he was faithful to do the Jewish things that aligned him with Israel. He prayed the Jewish prayers three times a day, and he kept kosher. I believe this model makes sense. He did not ingest anything pertaining to the world system of Babylon. He did not eat food dedicated to false gods, and he did not ingest the culture of bowing down to anything other than the Lord God. That saved his life and is worth considering. Eating organic, locally sourced food is wisdom. Remember, Jesus berated two of the seven churches in Revelation because they ate food sacrificed to the gods. Our globally sourced food comes from God knows what country and has all been genetically tainted. I will put links to the sources I referenced in the notes to this episode. I again want to encourage you to study the monographs that explain the origin of the Nephilim and ways they are manifesting today. Above all, we are never to fear. Psalms 34 tells us the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord 
is good. Let that promise rest in your spirit. He is our hope. His kingdom is where we are headed. I want to thank you for joining me today. You'll find this episode, Warnings of a Nephilim Invasion Part 2, and the links I referenced at candislong.com slash podcasts. I hope you join me again next time for lessons in the latter days. God bless.